Bibles and turn with me back to the book of Acts. We uh, have not been in the book of Acts since uh, before Thanksgiving, and uh, we are hitting the home stretch. Uh, it'll just be, Lord willing, seven weeks, including today, uh, left in the book of Acts. So uh, before we get to that, though, let me uh, share a few announcements with you. Uh, first of all, our normal pattern is to have uh, home fellowship for our community groups on the first Sunday of the month. Uh, but with the holidays and everything, uh, we're not going to do home fellowship tonight. Um, and, and let me rephrase that. It's, it's an announcement that says no home fellowship sounds really stern. You, you're welcome to fellowship in whoever's home you'd like tonight. But we're not going to have a formal, organized time of home fellowship. Uh, you, you do whatever you want to do. Um, so that's, that's uh, the first announcement. The second is that uh, Wednesday night activities resume this week. Our regularly scheduled uh, Wednesday night stuff, starting with our, our dinner at 5 o'clock in the gym, uh, cross trainers at 6, and then discipleship classes at 6.15 for youth and adults. And uh, we uh, will be um, doing a new discipleship class uh, for adults this spring, and it's called Truths to Cling to. And uh, it's an overview of the major Christian doctrines, the major Christian beliefs. Um, you can see, uh, actually you can't see because I made the font color too faded. But if you could see, you would see on the bottom of that slide um, a verse that says from Hebrews 4.14, let us hold fast our confession. The Bible calls us not just to believe doctrines, not just to agree with truths from scripture but actually to cling to them with our very lives to hold fast uh, that which uh, the, as uh, Jude calls it the faith once for all delivered to the saints and uh, there's a particular verse um, that comes to mind in terms of my burden for why we would why we would walk through this over the next few weeks in first Timothy 416 uh, Paul writes to uh, to young pastor Timothy keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching or doctrine. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Uh, and so just pastorally, uh, the, the word of God places a, a burden on my heart that we would really take seriously the doctrines of Scripture. And so uh, for the first half of the semester leading up to spring break, we're going to be uh, for, uh, all together for a Wednesday night discipleship class in the chapel uh, called Truths to Cling to, uh, focusing on the major uh, teachings and, and doctrines of Scripture. Last announcement uh, is that we will have a family meeting on January 16th. That's the third Sunday of this month. It'll be in this room at, uh, at 6.15, and uh, we will uh, look forward to, to gathering together in that venue as well. Well, it's a new month, and that means a new uh, verse to memorize together as a church. And our verse this month is a, is a verse that uh, we'll be tying very much into our, uh, our text for this morning, but it's also a verse that is very fitting for the start of a new year. Uh, and so Proverbs 19.21 is our verse, and I'll put it on the screen for you. And uh, let's go ahead and read this out loud together. Proverbs 19.21. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Let's read that together one more time. 
Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. As we, and you can say the verse together too, Proverbs 19, 21, that's right, get it, get the flow going. Uh, but this is a verse that it will be very beneficial to memorize at the beginning of this year. We are making plans, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. And so may that verse and uh, hiding that in our hearts over the next few weeks uh, serve us well. Uh, well, we, uh, l- let me just pray for us one- once more before we dive into our time in the Word. Father, we turn now to the preaching of your word. Lord, when we read the words on the pages of scripture, you, the living God, speak. Lord, we all want to hear from you. And Lord, we're about to. You are going to reveal yourself to us, reveal your truth to us, and Lord, we want to listen and obey. So Lord, I ask that by the Holy Spirit, you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, since it has been so long since we've been in Acts, let me just give a quick recap of where we were uh, before um, we're done with Proverbs 19.21. We can uh, move on to the book of Acts. Um, let me give a quick recap of where we were before, uh, be- before in the book of Acts. So Paul had been around the world taking the gospel to the Gentiles. And uh, all of his travels sent him to all sorts of different nations, but finally the Holy Spirit moved in his heart and, and called him to go to Jerusalem. And uh, the Holy Spirit told him to go to Jerusalem, but he also warned that imprisonment and affliction would await him there in Jerusalem when he arrived. And sure enough, just as the Holy Spirit said, uh, Paul quickly encountered affliction. Uh, He was arrested. Last time we saw Paul, he was arrested. There was a group of Jews in Jerusalem who accused Paul of being anti-Jewish in his teaching and his conduct. Uh, and uh, so they, they were against him, and an uproar uh, started within the city of Jerusalem. And so the Roman official, the tribune, arrested Paul, who was at the center of this controversy, so that he could take him aside and figure out what this was all about. So the Roman tribune arrested Paul. Uh, and since there were a, a group of Jews accusing him, he took him to the Jewish council, the, the leadership of the Jewish people, the Sanhedrin, and he took him before them to to figure out what was going on. And there he found out in the conversation between Paul and the Jewish council that the fundamental issue, the central issue, was the resurrection of Jesus. That Paul believed in the resurrection. Uh, And this topic of resurrection, though, was a controversial one among different groups within the council. And so a conflict arose there among the Jewish council. In fact, this conflict ended up turning violent, so violent that the tribune had to take Paul and, uh, and bring him out of the council in order to make sure that he was not harmed. 
Well, our text today takes place that very next day after that scene with the Jewish council. And so with that, uh, let's all stand together if you're able, and uh, let's read together Acts chapter 23, verses 12 through 35. When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, We have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now, therefore, you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case more exactly, and we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Now, the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush. So he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul, the prisoner, called me and asked me to bring this young man to you, as he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand, and going aside, asked him privately, What is it that you have to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow, as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them, for more than forty of their men are lying in ambush for him, who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, Tell no one that you have informed me of these things. Then he called two of the centurions and said, Get ready 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix, the governor. And he wrote a letter to this effect. Claudius Lysias, to his excellency, the governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman citizen. And desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council. I found that he was being accused about questions of their law, but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. And when it was disclosed to me that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you what they have against him. So the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. And on the next day, they returned to the barracks, letting the horsemen go on with him. When they had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they presented Paul also before him. On reading the letter, he asked what province he was from. And when he learned that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. And he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's praetorium. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Well, if I had to boil down the passage that we just read, I'd say it's really all about plans. The first half of the story, there's a plan to kill Paul. 
the second half of the story, there's a plan to protect Paul. So in, in its kind of most basic sense, the story is about plans. And it's fitting that we would be in a text about plans on the first Sunday of a new year. Uh, just like I, I mentioned before with our memory verse, uh, the new year, the, the beginning of, uh, of a new year is, is a time when we are all making plans. We're thinking in terms of plans. We're setting goals, uh, dreaming dreams, making resolutions maybe. We're thinking about plans at the beginning of the new year and, and we're making plans. But of course, if the last two years have taught us anything, it's ha- just how fragile our plans really are. It doesn't take much for me to begin the day thinking, I'm going to have a plan and everything is going to go according to my plan. And then on a dime, all of a sudden, nothing has gone according to plan. Plans can be thrown off by so many things. And and shockingly so sometimes. Plans can be thrown off by circumstances. A global pandemic. A diagnosis. A sudden loss. These things can take what we had as our plan and just make it evaporate. But our plans can also be thrown off by someone else's plan. I planned, this is a hypothetical, uh, I planned to buy a house, but my boss planned to fire me. I planned to grow old together, but my significant other planned to leave me. I planned to enjoy a semester of college, but a wicked person planned to take advantage of me. Someone else's plan can throw off our plans in a devastating way sometimes. And whether it's circumstances throwing off our plans, or even the plan, whether good, neutral, or evil of another person throwing off our plans. In those moments, it it can feel like we're out of control because we are. That we're just, we're out of control, that I'm not living life. Life is happening to me. Well, in our text today, we see plans. We see different kinds of plans. We see a plan for evil plan for good. We also see different results of plans. We see a plan that's thwarted. We see a plan succeed. But as we look at these plans in this text, and as we think about our plans, and even the the plans of others that might throw off our plans, we need to recognize that there is one plan that stands above all, and that is Jesus's plan. Above every other plan, above every human plan, stands Jesus' plan. Men can plot, men can scheme, men can 
plan, men can resolve, men can strategize. But Jesus' plan stands above all. And no plan of man can succeed if it is not part of Jesus' plan. And everything that does happen to us, Jesus intends for the accomplishing of his plan. Jesus has a plan, and his plan will never fail. Let's see this truth as we walk through the story of Acts 23. So like I said, we can break this text down basically into two plans. First, a plan to kill in verses 12 through 22. And then second, a plan to protect in verses 23 through 35. So first of all, a plan to kill. So this story begins with a group of Jews plotting to kill Paul. Again, they believed Paul to be anti-Jewish in teaching and in action. And for this, they believe that he deserved death. Now, he was already being tried by the appropriate government officials. The legal process was happening, but these uh, 40-plus Jews were not patient enough to wait for the justice system. They decided to take matters into their own hands. They made a vow together not to eat or drink until they killed Paul. Uh, Imagine being so dedicated to anything that you're willing not to eat or drink until it's accomplished. Well, not only did this group of 40 Jews make this vow together and and, and vow to kill Paul, they also conspired with the Jewish leaders. They go to the, the chief priests, the leaders of the council, and they tell them about this oath that they've made not to eat or drink until they kill Paul. And they proposed a plan to the Jewish leaders that uh, the Jewish leaders should, should call Paul back and, and act as though they had some more questions for him. Uh, meanwhile, these, this group of 40 Jews would stand and wait and then ambush Paul while he's on the way being transported to the council. So they make this oath. They conspire with the Jewish leaders. They're going to ambush Paul. And amazingly, Paul's nephew catches wind of this plan. We don't know a lot about Paul's nephew, but providentially, in God's sovereign design, the son of Paul's sister heard about the ambush. The right young man was in the right place at the right time by God's sovereign hand. And so, of course, he went and he told Uncle Paul. And as soon as Paul heard this, he asked one of the centurions who was keeping watch over him to take the young man, the nephew, to the Roman tribune so that he could tell the tribune what he had told Paul. So the centurion complied. He took the nephew to the tribune. And uh, there uh, the tribune, the the nephew came in and he he pulls him aside to find out what is it that you want to tell me. Uh, And he tells him about this conspiracy that these 40 Jews made uh, with the Jewish leaders. He tells them about their plan and he warns He warns the tribune, they are going to lie to you. Do not believe them. Don't be persuaded. Uh, He tells them about the vow that they had made, not to eat or drink. He tells them about the ambush that they're planning as they're going to take advantage of the the tribune's trust uh, in in them. 
Well, and so the tribune hears all this, and he responds swiftly. He, he tells the, the, the young man, don't tell anyone about this. He sends him away, and then he comes up with a plan of his own. That leads us to the second plan of this passage. Not only was there a plan to kill, there was also the tribune's plan to protect. So the tribune assembles a group of soldiers, and, and the text tells us there's 200 soldiers, follow this math 70 horsemen and 200 spearsmen 470 soldiers in all now historical records indicate that the whole force of roman troops in jerusalem was only about a thousand so nearly half of the roman force in jerusalem was sent by the tribune to accompany one man paul so obviously this would be plenty to defend against a group of 40 or so who would be ambushing. But still, what, why so many for just one prisoner? Well, remember that Paul had identified himself as a Roman citizen. Now that was a status that came with quite a bit of privilege within the Roman Empire. And because of that... For the tribune who was guarding this Roman citizen, that came with quite a bit of responsibility for him. He had a lot of skin in the game because if something happens to this Roman citizen, it's on the tribune. And so he made sure a group of vigilante Jews are not going to interfere with his responsibility and making sure he gets his job done of protecting this Roman citizen and making sure that he gets a just and fair trial. So he sends this group of 470 soldiers with Paul and instructs them to take him to Caesarea. Uh, so Caesarea was the Roman capital of the region of Judea. So Judea is where Jerusalem was located, and then uh, Caesarea was the, the Roman capital of that region. And that was where uh, the governor, uh, Felix, resided within Caesarea. So the plan of the tribune was to send Paul to Caesarea for two reasons. One, it would provide protection for Paul from the, the ambush that was uh, being plotted against him. But then also, by sending him to Felix, he was able to get a trial by the, the proper authority over this region. So the, the, the legal proceedings would continue. Well, so he, he makes this plan. He's going to send Paul to Caesarea, and he sends a letter with the soldiers written to Governor Felix uh, to communicate to him why Paul was being presented to him. So he begins this letter with a very formal greeting and, 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 and uh, a very generous greeting uh, to Governor Felix. And then he, he moves on to a summary of the events that led up to all this. Look at verse 27 again. He writes in this letter, This man, Paul, was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman citizen. Now, the, uh, the tribune was a bit selective in what he chose to include in his version of the story. Because uh, if, uh, if, if you remember, he... Paul was seized by the Jews. He was about to be killed by them. And uh, 
the tribune did find out that he was a Roman citizen and uh, was going to protect him. But he only found out he was a Roman citizen because he was about to have him beaten, which is illegal to, to do. It's illegal to beat a Roman citizen. Interestingly, he leaves that little detail out as he's talking to his superior about um, what transpired. But um, anyway, in, in, in the Tribune's version of the story, he heroically rescued Paul, the Roman citizen. Anyway, uh, but he, he tells them what happens, verse, verse 27. And uh, then he, he goes on to tell, them, uh, tell him about how he brought Paul before the Sanhedrin to discern what was going on, what the accusations were against him, what the, the issue was about. And, and it was there that he learned what it was all about. In verse 29, look at this. This is important for uh, not only this story, but uh, the, the events that will happen after this. I found that he was being accused about questions of their law, but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. So the tribune's assessment of the prisoner Paul was that he was innocent of anything criminal. That fundamentally, this dispute, as far as he could tell, had nothing to do with something that was criminal. It was a religious dispute. Well, And he got that from what Paul said back in verse 6 when he was standing there before the council. Acts 23, 6. Now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. Uh, so this is going to be the, the consensus, not only uh, the consensus of, of the tribune and then all of the officials in the government who give an assessment of Paul. They find that he is innocent of anything illegal or criminal and that at the heart of the matter is simply a dispute about the resurrection. Well, so then after he tells Felix about this scene at the Sanhedrin, he tells, them, tells him about the conspiracy that he has just learned about. Uh, the, the plot and the, the vow of the 40 Jews and their plan to ambush. And that he sent Paul to Felix in order to, to both um, protect Paul and get a, a, a trial continued for him. And he, he tells Felix finally that not only is he sending Paul, but he's also instructed Paul's accusers to come to Felix so that they can make their case before Felix and Felix can decide between them. Well, so the tribune takes this letter, he sends it with the soldiers, uh, and they take the letter and they take Paul to Caesarea. Uh, the whole group of 470 went about halfway on the journey to Antipatris, and then from there, once they made it safely, uh, most of them went back and then the horsemen take Paul on to Caesarea. Uh, they arrive in Caesarea. Paul is presented before Felix. The, the soldiers deliver the letter to Governor Felix, and uh, he reads the letter. Uh, and he asks, after he reads this letter, uh, what Paul's province is, where he's from. Uh, and Paul tells him that he's from the province of Cilicia. And that's, that's not a province that was under Felix's jurisdiction, but uh, the dispute arose in Jerusalem, which was under his jurisdiction. And so he promises that he will give Paul a trial, uh, that he will hear from him and hear from uh, his accusers when they arrive. And we'll see that next time we're in Acts. In the meantime, 
while uh, waiting for the, uh, the accusers to arrive, Felix has Paul put in Herod's praetorium, which was one of Herod's palaces. It was actually the residence of Governor Felix uh, until, uh, until the trial could commence. And Paul, so Paul's still arrested. He's in Caesarea, and he's actually going to end up staying arrested in Caesarea for two years, uh, starting at this point. Well, so zooming out again, that's, that, that's our whole text there. Plan to kill, plan to protect, plans. Think about all the, the plans there, the, the, the plan of the, the 40 Jews, the plan uh, with the Jewish leadership, the plan of the tribune. I mean, by the time we get to the end of the text, even Felix has a plan to hold a trial when the accusers arrive. All sorts of human plans. What about Paul? What does he even do in this passage? I mean, this is, is a passage about Paul, but what does Paul actually do? I mean, he, he tells the nephew to go to the tribune, but that kind of just fell in his lap, so of course he's going to do that. He answers Felix when he a- asks him a question. He says, Cilicia, that's my hometown. But Paul does almost nothing in this passage. Paul is totally out of control in these scenes. Life is happening to him. The plans of others are happening to him. Circumstances are happening to him. He is out of control at the mercy of these people planning about him. But there's another plan at work. And that's Jesus' plan that stands above all. We don't see it explicitly in this text. But once you have eyes to see it, you can't miss it. I mean, why did the Jews wait a day to kill Paul? Why, didn't they, why hadn't they killed him already? How is it that Paul's nephew just happened to be at the right place and the right time to be able to catch wind about a conspiracy? Not just any conspiracy, a conspiracy against his uncle. How is it that the tribune's self-interest, because make no mistake about it, he was operating for what was good for number one, not for Paul. How is it that the tribune's self-interest just so happened to align perfectly with Paul's interest? How can we explain these things? We can explain it by recognizing that the resurrected Lord Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the throne of heaven. He has all authority in heaven and on earth, and he was sovereignly directing everything that happened to Paul. Jesus told Paul the night before this, the night before this plot, the night before the schemes, the night before the plans, in verse 11, look back with me. This is the verse that unlocks what we just saw in 12 through 35. Verse 11. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. That word must describes the divine plan 
It was necessary. It's going to happen. Take it to the bank, Paul. You are going to testify about me in Rome. In other words, nothing is going to stop Jesus' plan to get Paul to Rome. Jesus had a definite plan. Paul was going to bear witness to him. It was guaranteed. And so even though, from a human perspective, all of these circumstances were out of Paul's control, life was happening to him. He was just a a pawn in other people's schemes. Paul could take courage because nothing could interfere with Jesus' perfect plan for him. And everything that would happen to him was being used by Jesus to accomplish the plan of Jesus for Paul. And this wasn't just Jesus' short-term plan for Paul at this particular time. This was what Jesus had always intended from the very beginning of Paul's ministry. Look back at Acts 9 and verses 15 and 16. This is when Jesus tells Ananias, a disciple in Damascus, to go to Saul, the persecutor of the church. Look at Acts 9, verses 15 and 16. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he, Saul, Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must, there's that word again, must suffer for the sake of my name. Jesus had a purpose for Paul. And that purpose was that Paul was to carry the name of Jesus. And in that initial calling, Jesus identifies three groups of people that Paul was definitely going to witness to. First was Gentiles. Well, we've seen that in all of his missionary journeys. He goes to the nations. He tells the Gentiles that they can be included in the people of God. Uh, The second group of people he mentions is the children of Israel. Well, we saw that on the missionary journeys too. Paul went to the synagogue first and and bore witness to the gospel. Uh, We've seen this even in uh, recent passages uh, where we've been in in Acts uh, 22, where Paul speaks uh, to the people at the temple. But then there's this group, kings. Jesus specifically says Paul is going to bear witness, to carry his name before kings. And this passage and the passages we're going to see moving forward, all are tied to that promise and plan of Jesus. Jesus had a plan that Paul would bear witness before kings, before high officials. And so what we're going to see starting here, and and we've already been seeing it, and we're going to see it for the rest of Acts, is there's all these legal proceedings. And Paul is shuffled around, and he's taken to this guy. Oh, now let's go over to this guy. Uh, Which, by the way, should be an echo of someone else who was taken before a bunch of different officials, namely the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, who also went before the governor Uh, the Roman governor of Judea, Pilate. Um, Anyway, uh, as Paul is is being shuffled around, all of the legal proceedings, all of the changes, all of these circumstances that from a a granular, uh, you know, uh, er, uh, uh, ground level perspective seem just random and, 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 and don't really make sense. All of these things give Paul the chance to bear witness 
to kings and high officials like Governor Felix. Uh, he, he goes before all of these different high officials. And these are people in positions that Paul would not probably have had an audience with them if he had just gone on another missionary journey. But because of his imprisonment, because of all of the circumstances, because of plots by the Jews to ambush, because of all of the twists and turns, Jesus fulfills his plan for Paul to stand before kings and bear witness to him. So even though from the ground level, these seem like random and tedious circumstances and twists and turns, if we look from the perspective of heaven, every twist and turn is a deliberate move by the Lord Jesus to fulfill his plan. As we begin 2022, remember that Jesus has a plan, and his plan never fails. Look back with me at Luke 24 and verses 44 through 47. Jesus has a plan. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must, there's that word again, be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. So Jesus indicates that it is part of God's definite sovereign plan that he would die and rise again. I think we all recognize that. We all understand, man, this was an intricate plan woven together providentially for a very specific divine purpose, Jesus' death and resurrection. But Jesus says that the proclamation by the church, the proclamation of the gospel to the nations, is just as much a part of God's sovereign divine plan as the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus has a definite plan that will not fail. And so, in 2022, what are Jesus' New Year's resolutions? Well, Jesus is resolved to get the gospel to people who need to hear it. In 2022, Jesus is resolved to save souls from sin. In 2022, Jesus is resolved to make his people more like him. Jesus will be at work accomplishing his plan in 2022. Jesus has a plan for Rocky Point Baptist Church. Will that involve our congregation growing or shrinking? Only Jesus knows. Will that involve remarkable prosperity or difficult suffering? Only Jesus knows. Will it involve us going to all the places in the world that we'd like to go? Or will it involve us staying home? Only Jesus knows. Will it involve the plans that we make succeeding? Or will 
it involve our plans being thrown off and us having to adapt and change? Only Jesus knows. But Jesus has a plan for Rocky Point Baptist Church. And Jesus has a plan for your life. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, it may be that Jesus' plan for your life in 2022 is that you would, for the first time, turn from sin and trust in Jesus and become a disciple of Jesus. I pray that that is Jesus' plan for you if you're not yet a follower of Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, then Scripture is clear on what Jesus' plan for you in 2022 is. His plan is that he is going to make you more like him. We don't know what he's going to use to do that, but his plan will not fail. He will make you more like him. His plan for you is that you would make disciples and build up the body of Christ. That's his plan for you. His plan for you is that you would tell a lost and dying world about his magnificent grace. That's his plan for you in 2022. Only Jesus knows exactly how he will accomplish his plan. Only Jesus knows exactly how he will use you to do so. But Jesus has a plan for your life in 2022. So, in those moments when you feel like you're not living life, life is happening to you, in those moments when you realize how out of control you really are, remember a couple of things. Remember that no human effort can stop Jesus' plan. Forty-plus men vowed not to eat or drink until they killed Paul. Can you imagine more dedication than your very life being on the line to a plan? Yet, that plan was easily thwarted by Jesus. One thing I can promise, you will be sinned against this year. Maybe other people's plans throw off your plans. Again, maybe they're neutral plans, maybe they're evil plans. But no plan of man can succeed if it is not part of Jesus' plan for you. Forget 470 Roman soldiers in Jerusalem. If Jesus wants to protect you, he will command his angels concerning you. And if a plan against you does succeed, it's not because Jesus failed. It's because it is part of Jesus' plan that he is accomplishing that cannot be thwarted. No human effort can stop Jesus' plan. And we also see in this text that even the best human plan is still under Jesus' control. So the tribune 
made a plan. He intentionally, by his own plan, protected Paul. But the only reason that plan succeeded is because Jesus directed it to. It was a good plan. And the plan succeeded, but only because of Jesus. This year, some things will go according to plan. And when that happens, just remember that the plan did not succeed because of your brilliance or wisdom or airtight planning. It was because Jesus saw fit that that plan succeeding would accomplish his plan. No human effort can stop Jesus' plan. Even the best human plan is still under Jesus' control. And so to use Jesus' words from verse 11, take courage, take courage. Jesus' plan will not fail. He will work. He will save. He will transform. He will use every single thing that happens to you for his glory and for the accomplishing of his plan. And the good news of Acts 23, 11 is if you are in Christ, he is with you the whole way. Every twist, every turn, every moment you're out of control and life is happening to you, Jesus is standing with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. So we all have plans for this new year, and we have no idea how they'll turn out. Some may succeed, some may fail. Circumstances may derail our plans. Other people's plans may derail our plans, but there's one thing we can be confident of. Jesus has a plan, and Jesus' plan will not fail. Many are the plans in the mind of a man. But it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Let's pray together. Father, we take our plans... We take our resolutions, we take our goals, and we take our dreams, and we loosen our grip on those, and we offer them to you. We submit them to you. Because, Lord, if our plan succeeding goes against your plan it is better that our plan would fail so Lord we offer you our very lives and entrust them to you knowing that you are in control you are good you are loving you are wise Lord may we take courage and who you are, and what you have promised to do according to your plan. We love you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together.